Martin Ford began as a software entrepreneur in Silicon Valley, but after the release of his New York Times bestseller, Rise of the Robots, Technology and the Threat of a Jobless Future, he's become better known for his speaking and writing about how robotics and automation influence the job market. In this Tech Emergence interview, Mr. Ford explains why many white-collar jobs are more at risk of being automated than blue-collar jobs, as well as his own predictions about what the job market might look like in 2025. So, Martin, glad to have you on for this episode. I know that uh, sort of the future of work and automation and artificial intelligence and its impact in the economy is sort of the domain that you've honed in on uh, in, in your own publishing. Uh, in, in terms of technologies, I do want to talk about the future. In terms of technologies that you see as important now that maybe most people don't even realize are here that are really affecting sort of who maybe doesn't have a job anymore or how the job landscape has changed so much. What do you see as kind of existent trends that maybe most folks are unaware of in terms of kind of this automation effect on the economy? Well, I think the most important thing for people to understand and maybe the thing that might surprise a lot of people is that this is just extremely broad based and it's really coming for all kinds of jobs at all kinds of skill levels. There continues to be kind of a conventional view out there that automation and robots is is something that's mostly going to be coming after lower skill workers, you know, blue collar workers, people in factories and warehouses. Yeah, and I think I think you're right. And, yeah, and that's it's a perception. absolutely true that, that that's going to happen. There are robots coming for those jobs. But when I use the term robot, I use it very broadly. I, I use it to really um, to mean any kind of automation. And very often we're talking about just software. And the fact is that there is smart software coming for a lot of jobs that are held by skilled workers. And I mean by that people with college degrees. Um, just a few examples, there are algorithms that are replacing a lot of the work that lawyers and paralegals do in terms of document review, in terms of you know going through doc, uh, documents and figuring out which ones are relevant to court cases. Yeah. Um, there are other algorithms that actually can undertake legal prediction. It, you know, it turns out that uh, experienced attorneys, one of the most important things they do is they actually make predictions. They say, for example, what's the likelihood that this case will be overturned on appeal or what's the chance that a contract will be breached by the other side, that type of thing. Yep. And making those kinds of judgments actually requires lots and lots of experience. So it's very often experienced, higher paid lawyers that do this kind of work. And yet when we now see powerful algorithms that can you know, make these kinds of predictions based on historical data and actually can outperform people. Uh, another area we see is, is journalism. There are a couple of companies out there that are building systems that can generate news stories uh, completely automatically. They, they essentially hook up to a data source and then they're able to analyze that data. Uh, they can figure out what things are interesting or unusual and incorporate those into the story and then you know, basically weave a pretty compelling narrative that's competitive with what a person could write. And that's a technology that you know, is getting better and better and better. Right now, it's more routine stories, things like financial reporting and sports reporting. But the weather, it's something getting like better that. And better. Right. But it, you know, it's getting better, more broad-based, and, and they're moving into areas beyond journalism. Well, they're using these systems now to automate all kinds of report writing throughout corporations. So, I mean, I think that some of the people that are most dramatically going to be impacted by this are your general white collar workers, the people that sit in front of computers and do relatively routine, formulaic things again and again. You know, if you're producing the same kind of analysis, the same kind of report again and again, um, 
you're you're very likely to be vulnerable to this. So yeah, wow. you know, the key thing is it's really everywhere. It's factories, it's warehouses, it's going to be fast food, um, where we're automating the production of hamburgers and tacos and lattes. I think that's inevitable, but it's also a lot of much more skilled jobs that, that require lots of education. No, that, that's that's great. You know, what's going to be what's interesting to me is dawning on me. First and foremost, you mentioned that most of us immediately think about blue collar work. I know that's the case for me. You know, I mean, I'll when I'm in the airport or something along those lines, I, I just I just sort of shake my head and I and I'm very concerned because I say, shucks, what are all these people going to do? Um, kind of when the robots kick it up a notch, because like, darn. You know, if all you got to do is kind of hand the guy a sandwich after he hands you the money, you know, in the food court thing, or or if all you got to do is is uh, sort of yell the same directions, you know, if you have a green card, you line up on the left, and if you have this, you line up on the right. Man, I mean, how, how long are you going to make it? But as you had mentioned, this is not just for kind of the bluest of the blue collar work. This is this is also for uh, maybe lower level journalism work, maybe maybe eventually higher level level journalism type work. Um, and, and now you had mentioned, and I don't know if you meant this kind of on the grand scale, that overall kind of the lower level white collar folks might be sort of hit hit the hardest as automation makes its transition uh, more and more sort of into the workplace. Um, did you mean that on the aggregate? Do you think it'll it'll be maybe more impactful to folks in those positions even than blue collar folks? Well, in some cases, yes. And, and the reason is that if you've got a very routine white collar job where you know, it doesn't involve a lot of creativity. Um, we tend to do the same kinds of things again and again. That, that's really easy to automate. A lot of that has already been automated. It only requires software. It doesn't require any expensive mechanical stuff. Yeah, like a, like um, a walking, you know, robot mate or anything crazy. It's right, just like right. A computer the, the, the other thing, thing is that a lot of, a lot of what lower skill workers do actually requires, in, in a lot of cases, a lot of dexterity and hand-eye coordination, that type of thing. And those are actually areas where it's still very difficult to yeah. build a robot that can compete with the business. It, it, so the paradox is that in some cases, those those lower skill, lower paid jobs are actually going to be more protected than the better jobs. Um, and a really good example of that would be someone who is a home health care aid, you know, the kind of person that helps take care of an elderly person. Yeah. And that's an area that we're going to see explosive need, of course, because we've got this aging population. And so it would be really great, actually, if we could automate some of that work because we need to do that. But it's it's extraordinarily difficult. You know, could, build a robot yeah. that could actually help take care of an, an older person, you know, autonomously is still really science fiction. Yeah. Whereas building a smart system that can, you know, automate an accounting job or an accounts receivable job or something like that is is straightforward and already happening. So that's, you know, one of the, the real paradoxes that we face here is that the conventional view has always been if you lose your low-skill job in the factory or the warehouse or whatever, then what we're supposed to do is we send you back to school for more training. And then maybe after that, you'll get an office job. You know, you get a white-collar job that requires a little more brain power. But yeah. But, what we're seeing, though, is that it's not going to work out that no, way. No, no, yeah. Not, in a lot yeah. of cases, those higher level jobs are just as susceptible, maybe even in some cases more so than than the lower skill jobs. So <laughs> this idea of retraining people to climb the skills ladder you know, may not be a viable solution. And, and the reason is that the machines, the, the robots and the algorithms are also climbing that skills ladder. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and it, it's curious because this is dawning on me. Uh, two things. First and foremost, <laughs> you had used a term that I'm probably going to use again and, and might quote you, which is uh, 
there's there's robots coming for that job. You're like, oh, there's definitely robots coming for that job. I just think that's a fun thing to say uh, in passing. Oh, there's robots coming for that job. Um, but but also you're mentioning that it's not just a you know how much brain power is required. Uh, the more brain power, then the less likely you are to be replaced by a machine of some kind. Not so, as you had mentioned, Martin, and maybe this is a way that other people could and should think about it. Um, it's not how much brain power does it require. It's can you be replaced by a machine? And sometimes, you know, it doesn't require that much brain power. But if you're going to stock eggs on a shelf and you also have to bring out all the other kinds of groceries and you got to make sure you don't like knock over people or other things, maybe we're going to need a $9 an hour guy to do that. You know, until we have a, a machine that's not going to run over humans or break all the groceries on the way there, because like you said, that dexterity problem might be a lot harder than uh, cracking the nut of an accounts receivable or accounting gig that, uh, you know, some smart people writing code for six months could, could easily roll out. That's right. And it, it's, you know, it's already progressing beyond just, you know, the real lower level white collar jobs as well. I mean, an extreme example I, I love extreme a, examples. Let's a, do would it. Be a radiologist, uh, you know, a medical doctor that reads um, images, you know, uh, X-rays and and CAT scans and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, algorithms are getting extraordinarily good at that type of work, and yet that's a job that for a human being just takes a terrific amount of training. I mean, you got to go to medical school, absolutely and terrific amount of internships training. and residencies. I mean, that's years and years and years of training for a person to learn how to do that job. It's a very high skill level job that requires lots of intelligence and yet I think it's it's reasonable to guess that at some point in the future that type of work is all going to be done by machines because they're going to, they're just going to be better at it they're going to be yeah no no I mean I, I think that's it's that's realistic to suppose and I, I think to some degree they're going to be augmenting what a doctor does like there may still be a person of course uh, in some way shape or form but I think it's also optimistic to assume that we'll need just as many doctors. We may it may be something that helps doctors and doesn't totally replace them, but replaces some of them. You know, it's interesting, uh, Martin. This particular field, medical, we've interviewed a number of folks that are sort of running companies in this space or selling to this space. You know, if you're building something of a medical device in the emerging tech space, what you really don't want to say is that it replaces doctors, right? Because how how do you sell that value prop? To, to get doctors to use it, you know what I'm saying? Right. I you mean, can't across the board, and you know you can't you, you can't sell any that company way. that's building these technologies, whether it's the, the the companies building the the automated news story systems or the companies building actual robots, they'll all put that spin on it. I mean, oh, of course, say, of course, right? Because this doesn't actually eliminate work. I mean, no, yeah. nobody really wants to come out and say that. Yeah, uh, very, very few. It's, it's political, isn't it? I mean, you know, and it's, what are you going to do? You're going to hold it against them? No, you can't hold it against them. It's like, you know, when the presidents speak with a Southern accent, when they're talking to the Southern folk, it's like, you know, you got to say the kind of thing that's not going to piss people off. And at the right. end of the day, and, you know, uh, the guys that are selling you know, these medical devices. It's, it's a matter of degree. I mean, to some extent, what they say is true. It, 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 you know, there is, there are situations where the technology collaborates with workers. Um, yeah. And in the, in the initial phases, you don't necessarily see a lot of um, people lose jobs. Uh, but one, one thing that can certainly happen is that the company going forward, as it utilizes these technology, may, may hire fewer people. So yeah. it might yeah, not yeah. be the case that they just lay a bunch of people off, but, but they don't need as many people in the future. There, there yeah. will simply be fewer jobs created than that. 
know, that's really important and over the long term. I mean, there's a cumulative effect for that because we've got to continue to create, on average, about a million jobs a year, at least, in the United States, just to keep up with population growth. Yeah, geez. Um, so that, that's that's important to think about. But yeah, I mean, it's it's curious, you know, that we bring up that, that point as well. I mean, again, we've talked to folks selling into that world. And, and I mean, even in your heart of hearts, if you if you feel like, shucks, this stuff's going to get rid of a whole bunch of these PhDs in these big buildings, you know, getting paid, you know, a buck forty a year. Uh, even if you feel that in your heart of hearts, you're not selling that to nobody, uh, and, and and especially not to the user who is the doctor. Uh, so you really can't put that spin on it. There is the exception you had mentioned in in one of your articles, um, uh, a company working on hamburger making robots that are pretty overt and explicit about being like, yeah, I mean, this will. You know, you won't need people. <laughs> uh, right? Who, yeah. There, who, who is that? Momentum machine. Momentum machines in okay. San Francisco. That, that one of the founders was pretty pretty open about saying that you know we just want to get rid of the people. So, but ultimately that's what it's about. I mean, and, and you know these are decisions that are going to be made at the corporate high level, and and you know the, the workers aren't necessarily going to have much of a say in it. So I, no, I think that no, I it's mean, inevitable that this is the direction that we're. Moving, yeah, I um, think it's, it's going to be a it's, it's going to be a tough call. You know, I mean, it's going to be a tough call. And and you know what I predicted to some degree, and maybe you do as well, is that just like right now, there's companies. You know, all, so there was a certain point, Martin, and and uh, uh, where people, frankly, were sort of unaware of environmental issues, and the average human bumbling about on the street did not either know nor care about anything about the environment to the degree that we do now, right? Um, and now, and now people do care and now companies can sort of be fun and friendly, uh, by saying, Hey, you know, we recycle our toilet paper or something, or, you know, we use recycled trees for recycled cups ground up as our toilet paper or whatever the case may be. You know, I'm, I'm of the belief that, you know, uh, so this whole going green, I I think there's going to be companies in the future that probably sell, you know, the, the, uh, or, or, you know, grown locally, right? There was a certain point where people just didn't frankly care. Right. That like don't even care where their oranges are grown because they don't care because it's orange juice. But now, you know, people know the environment and, you know, local farmers, maybe, you know, these mega farms. We don't like them. We like little farms. So now people care and they say buy local. I think that there will be marketing that will be like, hey, you know, we've chosen to keep X percent of humans because we believe that people are important. You know, I I think that actually it's going to be used as a a marketing angle for the companies that decide to keep on humans that they maybe don't actually need. That's possible. I mean, to some extent, there are companies like Costco, for example, that, that you know treat their workers relatively well oh, yeah, compared yeah. to Walmart, and they, they do use that as part of their reputation. Whether whether that's something that will become a big issue in the future, who knows? Yeah, you know, is, is unknown. I mean, the, the other side of that is that you know lower costs are very compelling. You know, people consumers they sure give are. Them a lower price. You know, they'll they'll usually go for it. So yeah, that's that's it. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the, you know, when you're buying local eggs, it's always going to cost more than if you just go for the, you know, the whatever name is on the the big bundle of eggs in the corner of the grocery store. You know, I mean, so some people are going to be willing to pay a premium. Maybe in the future, people say, I want to support a company that has real humans and and haven't replaced them with software algorithms that are more efficient or don't involve people. Um, so. In in addition, so we're talking about kind of transitions right now, Martin. I think this has been insightful. I really like the idea that it's not just the lower level jobs. It's what a machine could do. If you're a white collar person who does something repetitive that maybe isn't tremendously creative or or maybe is even to some degree, um, you, because software 
doesn't involve the physical kinds of dexterity, you, your job may in fact be at a more immediate uh, risk than someone who uh, you know is in, in a literal kind of physical labor situation. Now, Martin, in the coming maybe five years or so, or maybe even decade if we want to stretch things out a bit, what do you think are some of the you know, as close to inevitable as you and I can guess, I'm not going to ask you to pull out a crystal ball. I, I, I don't, I've never asked anybody to tell me anything definitive about the future, but what do you think are some really important transitions in the next decade that people should most likely buckle their seatbelts for and really prepare for? What are realistic futures that we're heading towards given where automation, AI, robotics are taking us now? Well, I think uh, self-driving cars could happen within a decade. That may be pushing it a bit. It may be a little longer than that, more like 15 years or so. But I think that it's inevitable that we're ultimately going to have you know, cars that can drive themselves. And that has the potential to threaten a lot of driving jobs, obviously. Yeah, buses and trucks imagine and taxis. Taxis and, and buses and so forth that don't, don't have drivers. Um, I think that that area also gets a lot of hype, so it may, it may it take does. a little longer than, than some of the hype suggests, but I think yep. that it's inevitable we'll get to that point. Um, I think that, you know, I mentioned before, fast food, hamburgers, that kind of thing, is, is it's inevitable. I, I would expect that within 10 years we're going to see that disruption very likely. I mean, just because ah. there's such a strong competitive dynamic there between these chains that, that compete largely on the, on the basis of price, um, if one of them can offer more convenience together with a lower price and you know better performance, faster, more hygienic maybe, all of those yeah, things yeah. Um, could could you know evolve for more robots in stores. So I think that that's probably inevitable that, that that's gonna happen. And then the other area is just general what I said with white collar jobs, you know, really across the board. There that you can't point to one specific field, but it could be just about anywhere. Any kind of job that involves sitting in front of a computer doing some sort of manipulation of information is, is ultimately going to be susceptible, I think. So huh. my guess is that within 10 years or so, it, this will become a lot more obvious. We'll see it, you know, not just in one specific area, but really kind of everywhere gradually um, encroaching on, on employment. <laughs> yeah. I, I Again, I really just like the term. I, I've gotten some jollies with this one. The, the, the very casual, ah, yes, there, there's robots coming for that job. Um, I, I, think, I think that that's, that that's humorous. Um, but but I also I, I like the insight about the white collar work. So you think fast food is uh, you know driverless cars? Maybe it's a bit optimistic, but may in fact be possible. Jobs that involve that. Do you do you think the the commercial car purchasing world in ten years may get there, or do you think it'll be you know the the Peter Pan buses and the taxis first before it's you know the regular suburban person buying a self driving car? Do, or do you see them happening around the same time? Well, I, you know, in terms of regular people, it would take a long time for sure because because people will keep their cars for a long time, you know, more more than a decade now on average. So it's going to take a you know for the general public to shift to self driving cars would um, take quite a while. And also, you know, a lot of people think that that when that really happens, cars are going to be a shared resource. In other words, you won't own your car anymore. You'll just call the car up on like Uber. So it's hard to see how wow. you know, to know exactly how long that would take. But I, in the I like commercial area. Where you've got corporations, you know, that hire people to drive, I think there'll be very powerful incentives to do that relatively soon, as soon as the technology is proven, especially if it's safer. Because, you know, these big companies, they they just they see an enormous amount of liability. I mean, if one of their drivers makes a mistake and causes or, or, an accident, you know, stays up and, all night and, or and can't, a big corporation, yeah. you know, they're going to get sued big time, you know, massively. So. 
once they see that, that these technologies are in fact safer and more consistent and less likely to create um, situations with liability, I think that they'll gravitate toward it pretty quickly. Oh, so, okay. that, so my guess would be that's where we'd see it first. Got it. Driverless cars, in, in fact, more in the. I, I think that that rationale is, is relatively strong. In fact, um, and so that maybe some of the fast food type gigs, and then it sounds like still, you know, even talking about ten years out, for you, really the biggest, you know, the biggest way that that automation AI and and, and I guess automation in general is going to hit the ground running is not in even in 10 years out, it's not going to be the physical robot that's doing the physical thing that people normally did, but is really a wave over the next 10 years of a lot of the more monotonous information manipulating white collar jobs just getting squeaked out by various and sundry software applications. Sounds like even 10 years out, you really feel like um, obviously the dexterity robotic movement problem, that, that's still a pretty big toughie, but but you're still seeing that domain, that white collar strata as being the one that's most likely to, to sort of be hit the hardest? Well, I, I mean, I think it, it'd definitely be one of the areas they hit. I mean, they, you know, 10 years from now, robots will also be a lot more dexterous. I mean, we're seeing they will. the rest there already. So, you know, you can't point to one area and say it's going to be this and not that. I mean, it's going to be everywhere. That's the whole point. I mean, it's it will be the, the white collar jobs that are held by people with higher skill levels. And it will also continue to be the jobs in the warehouses and the factories and, um, you know, the jobs held by lower, lower skilled people in a lot of cases as well. So it's really, you know, that that's the primary message here is that it's really everywhere. I mean, it's all kinds of jobs. Yeah. And, uh, out of, out of curiosity and in closing here, Martin, I realize we're right about the end of our interview. Um, your your thoughts around sort of what what kinds of impacts this may have and, and where this may leave us. I know there are the Kurzweils of the world who certainly have uh, some some good reason to say this as well, um, but who are rather optimistic about sort of the technological automated futures that we'll have, where people will have maybe more leisure time, or or that there will immediately be jobs filled up that are more creative, and that people will have more kind of creative gigs. Other people are uh, not not so optimistic, and maybe even um, you know a, a little bit downtrodden by the visions of the future that that they themselves paint in their minds around you know the degree of unemployment that may run rampant. You know, realistically, where where do you where do you see this sort of hitting us? Do you consider yourself sort of on the leaning leaning in the kind of better world place, or or maybe? Maybe not feeling so good about where we're going. You look at this stuff a lot more than I. Well, I, I tend to feel that I'm a, a long-term optimist, but a short-term pessimist. I mean, I think that in the long run, you know, decades from now, if we figure all this out and we figure out how to adapt to it, then we can imagine a kind of utopia almost where, as you say, no one would have to do a job that they hate. Uh, people would have more leisure time or they would have more of a chance to do the things they enjoy. That's the top, the techno-optimistic take on this. It is, yeah. I don't think it's wrong, but I think that that doesn't happen automatically. That requires us to make an adaptation, figure out how to adapt our economy and our, our entire system to this new reality. And that's going to be politically as a staggering challenge, I think. And, and I think we're very likely to run into some real problems, maybe a crisis um, as a result result of the fact that a lot of people are just going to be left behind. Oh. We're going to have to figure out a way to make this work for everyone, not just the 5% smartest people or most capable people or most you know, technically savvy people. 
Yeah. We've got to figure out a solution so that all of this progress can benefit everyone and not just a few people. If we don't do that, then we're heading for, I think, a more pessimistic scenario. Yeah, I, I think the, the takeaway lesson for, for folks tuned in is, uh, man, if, 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 in all, if in all seriousness you can't see your job as uh, doable by software, um, get nervous and uh, do something different. That's, that's what I'm grabbing from this one, Martin. I really appreciate you being able to, to share your, your insights with us and, and join us on the podcast. If people want to learn more from you or learn more about sort of uh, the, the automation economy it, itself, where would they go on the web to find you? Uh, well, I'm on Twitter at uh, mfordfuture, and that's probably the easiest way to find me. Cool. And, and if you go to my Twitter account, then you also find a link to, I've got a blog and things like that as well. So Very good. Martin, thank you again so much for being here on the Tech Emergence Podcast. Thanks a lot. Good to be here. And that wraps up this episode on the Tech Emergence Podcast. Thanks for being here. And remember to subscribe on iTunes to stay on top of the latest news breaks, researcher perspectives and entrepreneur interviews in artificial intelligence, neurotechnology, and more. And we want to hear from you as well. So be sure to leave a review on iTunes, which are always appreciated, or contact us directly at info at techemergence.com. And remember, all of our entrepreneur interviews and interviews with top researchers from around the world, from Stanford to Oxford and beyond, can be found right on our main site at techemergence.com. Remember to sign up for the newsletter while you're there. So with the best of intentions for a brilliant future, this is Dan Figella signing off, and I'll see you next week.